Thank you to Jose and the worship team. Today is annual business Sunday. And if anyone says, woohoo, then uh, you're a strange cat. Because <laughs> when I think of annual business meeting, uh, that is not necessarily the most exciting thing. But it is a, uh, that I get an amen on. Uh, but, it, but it is an important thing. And uh, sometimes... Uh, we kind of have in our minds that we have church business here and then we have uh, the church ministry here and we put them in two different categories. And I can understand why, but I actually don't think we ought to separate them uh, too strongly because they are tied together. The, uh, the business of the church, when we think of the uh, organizational structure of the church and the budget and the bylaws and all of those things, uh, those things are here to empower the ministry of the church. And the ministry of the church, if it's really going to be successful, needs all of those other things. It needs structure. It needs uh, funding so that we can do the work that God uh, has called us to do. And so I thought today on this Sunday, when we have the annual business meeting, it would be a good opportunity for me in the, during the sermon to step back and to look at the ministry structure of our church and how we are seeking to organize the ministry. Because we want to uh, not only have a ministry that works well, to be grounded in the scriptures and to be doing the things that God wants us to do. And so we've tried to be very careful to do that. And we're going to look at the key passage that we've identified that has helped us organize our ministry structure. Now, I'll admit that when we talk about ministry structure, it's, we have to be a little bit careful because the Bible itself does not give us a structure per se and say this is how you are to be organized. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you see quite a bit of diversity. In fact, I think there is even an evolution that we see taking place through the writing of the New Testament. The books that are, or, that are written the, uh, first, for example, 1 Corinthians, uh, talks about having tons of people with spiritual gifts, but there is absolute chaos in the church. There seems to be no organizational structure, and it's a mess. There are divisions. There are people gathering together for worship. It says when they gather for the Lord's Supper, some people don't get anything to eat or drink as they remember the, uh, the uh, Lord's Supper together. And some people have so much they go away full and drunk. And the worship service uh, says that they have uh, all kinds of spiritual gifts, but if an outsider were to walk in, he said, would, would come to the conclusion that you guys are mad. And so 1 Corinthians is kind of where we get a taste for what is... Anyone that says they want to go back to the early church ministry, read 1 Corinthians. It might not, you might not have that same conclusion. But then as the New Testament progresses... We get, for example, to Ephesians, and there seems to be a little bit more uh, structure. At least there's functions of the church that are given. And Philippians is written, and all of a sudden, in the greeting, we have this 
idea of greetings to the overseers and the deacons. And then when we've come to 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy, there are qualifications for church leaders. And so we, uh, we come to the conclusion that organization is important. But the reason that it is important is because it enables us to do what God wants us to do, to be the church that God wants us to be. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 11 through 16. And in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to try to paint this picture this morning. There is a beautiful picture of of the key functions that should be within the ministry of our church. And hopefully we can outline how we might be organized around these things. But let's look at this together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, obtaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the, by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so you can recognize just at first glance and the, the first, as we read this together, so many of these themes that we've been looking at in Ministry Matters jump out. But just looking at that last verse that I read, is this not what we hope for as a church? That we would grow and that we would be built up in love that each part of, as each part of us does our work. And that's my hope for us together as a church, especially today as we have our annual business meeting, that, that in all of these things that, that there would be the power of God, that He would give us wisdom, and that we might organize ourselves well so that the work of God can be done well in our midst. Let me go one more time before the Lord and ask for His help. Just ask, uh, say a prayer along these lines. Father God, again I come to you and I thank you for how we have already been able to worship you this morning. We've been able to fix our hearts and minds on you. And God, I pray that as we now again look at your word and, and, uh, and we seek to apply it to our lives, I pray that you would guide us. I pray for this sermon. I pray for the business meeting that is to follow. But in all of these things, God, help us to do your work, and your will. And God, ultimately, may it be for your glory. So God, we just ask that you would come. May your spirit be our teacher. Impress upon us what you would have for us today. And so we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, once uh, devised a way to test the windshields of their airplanes. 
to see if the airplanes, uh, the windshields were strong enough to withstand a bird that would come crashing into it while it was in mid-flight. You'd probably want to know if your uh, windshield's strong enough, right? And so they figured out, if let's just do this on the ground. Better to do it there than once you're up in the air and your windshield busts and your plane comes crashing down. So they developed, and this is true, they developed a chicken shooting cannon. And they would shoot the dead chicken at the airplane at the speed in which the airplane would be flying. And that's a great way to test it so nobody gets hurt. And so they'd shoot these dead chickens at the airplane. Now believe me, this is the type of thing my nine-year-old son would come up with. But this is the FAA and they're shooting dead chickens at the airplanes. Now, there was a British locomotive company that heard uh, of this test, and they had developed a high-speed train, and they thought, and so they, uh, they got in touch with the FAA and said, can we borrow your chicken-shooting cannon? And so they sent the chicken-shooting cannon to Great Britain, and they shot the chickens at the uh, train, but the ki- chicken kept busting through the window every time, and they couldn't figure out why. They said, we, they said, we thought we had a window strong enough. And so they sent the results of their tests to the FAA and asked, hey, can you review what's been going on and tell us where we're messing up? And they uh, looked at all the tests and they sent back this message, try using a thawed chicken. <laughs> Why they thought a frozen chicken was needed, I have no idea. Uh, But they said a thawed chicken will make all the difference in the world, and sure enough. And sometimes we have certain assumptions. Where they come from, I don't know. But we have in the back of our minds the way that things should be done. I think when it comes to church ministry, all of us come with some sort of assumptions in the back of our mind. And I want us just to back up and to say, Before we put our own experience or history at the forefront, let's consider why we really exist and consider how that might be done, uh, how we might organize ourselves, throwing everything out the window to say, what could we do? Maybe to be be even more in line with how Scripture instructs us. Well, let's start here. Our mission statement as a church is this. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. Let's read that together one more time. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. That is ultimately why we exist as a church. Embedded in that is that idea of evangelism and going out and spreading a passion for God. Embedded in that is the idea of discipleship, that we would be exalting God in our lives so that He is above all else. And embedded in that is the idea of ministry, that within our church, that we are lifting up God, that we are worshiping Him and doing the work of God in the best way possible. And so now let's transition into think through church structure. 
Church structure is simply this, the best way to be organized to do God's ministry. The church structure, I mean, we don't have to get complicated about it. It's simply the best way to be organized to do the work that God wants us to do. Now, I want us to turn now, to turn our attention to that first verse that I read. Because I'm going to challenge us this morning to look at Ephesians 4.11 as a way to be organized to do the work that God has called us to do. And hopefully I'll explain that well from the, from the text. But looking again at verse, uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. When I first read that verse, I thought, oh, well, this is another list of spiritual gifts. Remember last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, and there's two lists of spiritual gifts there. And I, and I just assumed, and that, in fact, that's how many people read this. That's an, another list of spiritual gifts. Before I've studied this, I actually have come to the conclusion that this isn't just a list of spiritual gifts. In fact, spiritual gifts is never used in the passage. Yeah, it says Christ himself gave, we give gifts, but the Greek word for gave there has nothing to do with the Greek word that Paul uses for spiritual gifts. They don't sound alike at all. They're not related. And so that is, first of all, that may be an assumption in our minds that we need to put to the side for a second. But really what got me thinking along these lines was when I was reading a commentary on 1 Corinthians 12. And in 1 Corinthians 12, there's two lists. The first list we looked at in detail last week, but the second list is in verse 28. And in verse 28 it says, And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And so there's eight things listed here, three of which are the first three in our, or, or, three of which are three in our list of five in Ephesians 4. So that got my attention. And when I went back to study this, I began to understand that of the eight, there is actually two different categories. In fact, the two different categories, the first group of four, are in a completely different Greek case than the second group. The first group is in the accusative case, and it's introduced with a listing. First, second, third, and then. And in the fourth, uh, and in the last four, are listed in the genitive. And it is, again, a repetition of the spiritual gifts that were given earlier in the chapter. Healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. And being kind of curious on all of this, I went to a commentator, and this is when the light bulb came on. Gordon Fee, who is an excellent uh, New Testament commentator, says, based on these observations, these things that are highlighted here in the text, he concludes that 1 Corinthians 12.28 is not strictly an example of spiritual gifts, but rather he sees the first three mentioned as roles that represent the functions of the church and the second half of the list as spiritual gifts that empower those roles. 
and bam, the light bulb came on. 1 Corinthians 4.11 are not spiritual gifts. They are roles that represent what are to be the main functions of a church. These are the things that a church is to uh, be doing if they are to do the whole ministry of God. A well-rounded, healthy, mature church does all five ministry functions. These are the things that the church is to be about. Now, so many churches, I have seen this for, uh, so many times, many of the, many, very few churches actually emphasize all five of the roles that are described here. All five ministry functions. Many churches will be super strong in teaching ministry, but never actually get around to doing it, to serving the poor, to meeting, the, to meeting needs, to, uh, to caring for people in their, in their difficulties. And then there are others that are all about the doing. And we might even call these like social justice churches. But we complain that there is no evangelism that's done. They do all the social justice work, but never get around to actually sharing the gospel. And then there are churches that are super strong in evangelism. But they're weak on discipleship and building up those that come to faith. And there are churches that are all shepherding and, and care and neglect the others. And there are other churches that are doing everything else but actually caring and shepherding for the people that are in their midst. And so here is our heart's desire that we would be a well-rounded, healthy, mature church that does all five of these ministry functions. So let's look at that. Let's, let's consider these one at a time. A-P-E-S-T, acronym, APEST. The A, Apostles, what were the apostles in the New Testament doing? They were planting churches and starting ministries, right? They were the ones that if churches got off course, they, would, they were directing them and uh, seeking to get them back on track, correcting them if there was something that had gone wrong. They were providing vision and direction for the early churches. And we need to have apostolic ministry here at this church. That doesn't mean we have quote-unquote apostles. That seems to be a unique office in the, in the uh, first century. Uh, but it does mean that we need to have this as part of our, uh, our ministry, that we, are giving, that we are giving vision and direction to the way that God would have us to go. We need to have people that are strong in this area, that are gifted to guide us and direct us. The second is prophets. Now think back to the Old Testament. What were the prophets in the Old Testament doing? The prophets in the Old Testament, quite simply, were speaking the Word of God into difficult situations. They were calling out people in their sin. They were coming alongside of those that were being treated unjustly or being mistreated and standing alongside of the poor and the needy, standing on the, uh, alongside of those that were being oppressed and, and speaking God's love and God's truth into the, each of those situations. And the church is called to do the same thing today, to come alongside of those that are being mistreated, to come alongside of the poor and to help serve the community in this way. E, evangelists. That's the third in the list. 
An evangelist is someone who simply is putting forth the gospel and welcoming people into God's kingdom, right? J.R. Woodward describes evangelists in this way. He calls them storytellers because they are sharing the stories of not only what God has done in their lives, but what He is doing in the world. People are invited to exchange their brokenness for God's redemption to see their story enveloped into the larger narrative of God's mission. And that's the work of evangelism. Is it not a crucial work for us as a a church to do the work of evangelism that we're inviting people in to become Christians and to hear the gospel and to receive forgiveness? The S, the fourth, shepherds. Shepherds are the ones that help care for people in their need, right? In their physical need or in their emotional needs, they come alongside and share God's love and help care for them. And as a church, this is again an important ministry of ours to come alongside those that are hurting physically or emotionally, to pray for them and to share God's truth and love. And lastly, teachers. Teachers are those that are, uh, that are teaching the Word of God so that they can not only understand it, but apply it to their lives. And I hope that when we look at that that list of five, we recognize those are all things that we want to be about as a church. In fact, these are the type of things that the early church was was doing. Going back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, is probably the most succinct, uh, precise... uh, description of how the early church looked in all of the scriptures and this is what it says just note apes as i'm going through it they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching so we already got two the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer i wonder that if if we have fellowship the breaking of bread and, and prayer i wonder if there is any shepherding care ministry that's going on as they're gathering together. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You see, beginning to take care of the physical needs there, this is beginning to point towards the prophet's ministry. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That, without a doubt, is shepherding care ministry. So now the only one we're missing is the E, evangelism. Praising God. Now look at the last verse. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All five, right there. That's the picture of the early church. We could take time to do the exact same look at a survey of Jesus' life and ministry. These were the things that he was doing. Providing direction and guidance for the early church so that they knew how to carry out his work. That's why he invests in 12 disciples for all of those years, right? He's doing the work of Uh, He's doing the work of evangelism. He's caring for people around him. He's uh, providing 
teaching, to teach them how to live in the kingdom of God. And he's coming alongside of the poor and the social outcasts, and he's providing that kind of ministry. This is the ministry of the early church and of Jesus. This is the ministry that, that God still wants us as a church to have today. And so what if we were to take this five-fold list, and this is the, church, the church's organizational structure? Well, there could be tremendous benefits. The benefits are found in verses 12 and 13. Let me just take these one phrase at a time, and then I want to back up and look at our church, and then we'll be done. Verses 12 and 13, it says, If we do these things, what will happen? We will be, verse 12, to equip His people for works of service. That's one advantage is that as we have leaders in place that, that are overseeing these five ministries, people will be equipped to do the work of God. It, it equips people for works of service. It's not just a, a one thing to have a certain number of deacons or leaders in place, to have staff over ministry, to do the work of the ministry. They are an equipping ministry to empower all of us to do the work of God. Going on in verse 12, it says, so that the body of Christ may be built up, so that there is movement, so that we are being built up, that we don't become stagnant but that we are uh, continuing to move forward. If we simply rely on what we have always done in the past, that is a, that is a f- surefire way to die as a church. We have to have movement to be, uh, to, to be moving forward, to continuing the work of God. And so it creates movement so that there is no stagnation. And then continuing on, I'm just taking this straight from the Scriptures, verse 13 until we all reach unity in the faith. Being organized together and thinking about structure helps us be unified so that we're working together with one purpose around that mission statement, around our cultural values, so that we are doing the work that God wants us to do. We're all working together. It fosters unity. It goes on to say, uh, oh, I already did that one. It fosters maturity. It goes on to say, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. When we serve uh, together, we grow individually and we grow as a church. Part of the reason that some churches become focused just on one ministry or another ministry or this area of ministry is because there is only one or two people that are driving the whole a direction of the church. That's a problem because nobody is gifted or has the heart to do all five of these things. In fact, if I look at that list, I will be very quick to highlight uh, a, a couple of those that my heart is in. But I know that's not the heart of God, that God has a bigger heart to do all of those things. And so it needs to foster maturity so that we are growing in all of these areas. And that's where church organization and structure comes into place. And then lastly, this thing it says here in verse 13 is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we're doing the whole work 
of the kingdom of God. All of these things that God wants the church to be about. Taking that five-fold list, the APEST, I want to highlight uh, how we might think about our church. And we'll have deacon commissioning service next week. And, um, and so uh, we'll go over this in detail next week. But first of all, when we think of the A, we have vision and direction. Vision and direction. That, that's the title that we have given this. And in this, we might think of our vision team. We might think of our prayer ministry. But that's a crucial area, a crucial ministry area of our church. P, we've entitled community development. And that's the role of the prophet there. But the idea that we are involved in helping reach the community and come alongside of those that are in desperate situations. Think of the ministries of mercy and justice and of our, and of our community connections. Again, we're going to introduce deacons along these lines next week. And then we will have a ministry fair that describes all of these in detail. But just big picture why. The E is evangelism. And that's simply what we've called this ministry area. Missions, welcoming team, social and fellowship ministry. These are all areas of welcoming people into our church and ultimately into the kingdom of God and going out and sharing the gospel with them. S, shepherding care. Think of the examples of compassion care and harvesters ministry. These are important ministries of, of caring for those that, uh, that have that, those shepherding care needs. And then lastly, T, teaching ministry, we've simply called discipleship ministry. We think about emphasizing the growth groups in our church gatherings as opportunities to challenge people in their faith and also to come alongside of them and to spiritually encourage and support and hold accountable and, and, uh, and help us to know the Word of God and apply it to our lives. So, so that is a pest in a nutshell. And that is how I would hope that we would say we would love to be organized as a church. And that's how we've designed the uh, deacon's ministry. If, all of, if the Scriptures are true and the benefits take place, that people are equipped for works of service, that our church is built up, that we have unity in the faith, that, that we become mature, that we have the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Is that not a beautiful picture? Is that not something worth working towards, worth organizing around? Two quotes to uh, close with today. G.K. Chesterton. The more I considered Christianity the more I found that while it established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. That's, that's hopefully the chief aim of our organization. That, that this is at the heart of Christianity, to give a rule and an order for the, per, for the sake of good things running wild. The work of God just taking off like wildfire. 
and, and spreading through our church and through our community so that the work of, so that the message of Christianity goes forth. That's behind the mission statement. That's behind all that we would do. That our chief aim of the order that we have set in place is to give room for good things to run wild. And then the second quote is from Alan Hirsch. And he's specifically talking about this passage in Ephesians 4. He says, All God's people carry within themselves the same potencies that energized the early church movement. Apostolic genius, that's what he calls apest, lies dormant in you, me, and every local church that seeks to follow Jesus faithfully in any time. The idea that all of the things that came across with such power in the early church lie dormant in us, that we have the same sort of potential that energized the early church. That's exciting for me. And I hope that that's exciting for all of us. So that we gather, whenever we gather together for ministry, for what we call quote-unquote business, no matter what it would be, it would all be for the purpose of spreading a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. That we exist to, uh, to, to further God's uh, reign and rule all around us. To make disciples, as Jesus says, teaching them to do everything that He has commanded us to do. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank You today for today and just this opportunity that we have had to First of all, look at your word and to seek to be instructed by it, to be, seek to be organized around the things that, uh, that make your heart soar. We know that these are the things that you are passionate about and help us to be passionate about the same things. Help us to be unified together. And God, I know that whenever we get outside and we start talking about organization and budgets and all those type of things, bylaws, Unfortunately, those things can, uh, can for some reason be de- divisive. But God, we pray that you would just help us to rest in you, to come together with, with hearts that are fixed upon you, to ask good questions, but at the end of the day, to, to seek to love one another well, to be organized well so that we can carry out the full work that you have called us to do. And so God, bless us today, bless us in our meeting, bless us even as we sing together this last song. In Jesus' name, amen.